Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First City Church. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, If you want, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're in this series called Parables that we started last week. And and as Taryn was explaining, he's like, parables were these simple stories that people could remember that would come alongside a truth or a principle or a challenge that he wanted for people's lives as he was trying to instruct and lead them into a better, closer walk with God. And so he used these parables all the time. And today we're going to talk about one of the very first parables that Jesus ever gave. And it actually marked probably the hardest, the biggest challenge that Jesus ever had in his ministry. In fact, that same challenge happens today because the biggest challenge, or at least one of the biggest challenges that Jesus had throughout his entire ministry was to get people to see him as the Messiah. It was so different. It was so radical. A lot of people claimed to be the Messiah, but they were always fake. They were always false. And people would follow them, and then they go, ah, just another pretender. Because the old prophets spoke about how that one day there would come a Messiah. There would come a change. All things would be old. All things would become new. And so, you know, everybody wanted to be the Messiah. And so these guys would come and they would do all sorts of stuff until everybody figured out that guy is just an imposter. And so Jesus comes along. And what do you think is the first thought on people's mind? Just another imposter. Right? And so it was one of the biggest challenges that he had, even though it was prophesied. And so a lot of the prophets talked about it. Here's just one. So, well, here's my question for the day. How hard is it for people today to embrace all of Jesus and completely submit to him? I mean, was this just true of, in Jesus' day that people had a hard time seeing him as Messiah and completely surrendering to him? Or do we experience that in our world today? Have any of you seen somebody say, nope, I just... Don't really care to see Jesus as Messiah. I'm fine as I am. Thank you very much. Or how do you know for sure? There's so many different translations and Bibles. How do you know what's truth? There is no truth. I got my own truth. And why my truth is good for me and your truth is good for you. But you don't impose your truth on my truth. Right? Okay, so we still have a hard time in our world today on getting people to believe Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. So, prophets spoke about it. Here's one out of Isaiah. Isaiah 43, and now the first five verses are just worth the whole read. But he's like, the Babylonians have come come over, they've taken over Israel. All of the Israelites had had been a split kingdom into Israel and Judah. And uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was being taken over by the Babylonians. And their life was miserable. They were slaves. Uh, They were away from their land. And Isaiah was trying to tell them, one day God's going to change things. One day it's going to be better. One day God's going to rescue you. And he also talked about, one day there's going to come this Messiah. And he will rescue all of God's people. And so he's like, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. This is God, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? And so it was prophesied that God was going to do something new. Listen, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to, it's, going to be, it's going to be different, and it's going to radically transform your life and the lives of all those who are going to follow Jehovah, who are going to follow God. 
And so people were looking for something new. Now, you fast forward to the very end of your Bible, and in Revelation 21, this is what God is saying really about heaven. John was the one recording it, and he said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. This is one of those verses of Scripture for those of us who are God's people that we hold dear. Because we look forward to this day. Any of you looking forward to the day when you will get to see God face to face? I'm just telling you, I'm... I hope I don't embarrass Rita. Rita sitting up here on the second row with her husband, Marcus, and her mother. How old was Helen? Was she 92? 87. I'm not even close, but 87. <laughs> and her mother just passed away. And as we were there at, in the hospice room and your mom was just talking with us, how eager was she to see God? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Like, wow, you know, just she could not wait to see God. She was a godly, faithful woman. And God occupied her whole heart. And she knew because she was in so much pain, one day there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. God is making everything new. Don't you long for that? So between the two bookends, of one day, there's going to come a time when this world, even as real as it is to us, is going to pass away and our eyes will be open to a world more real than this one. And we'll forever be with God. And he's going to make everything new from the time it was prophesied to the time when we will be with God in heaven. In between those two bookends was Jesus. And it's only because of him that everything is made new. Amen? This is why it is so important that we embrace Jesus as Lord. And yet people had a hard time accepting him. He was so different. Up until that time, all people were trying to do was defend the law. And Jesus is like, I'm not, I listen, I'm here to fulfill the law. I'm not trying to wipe it away. I'm going to fulfill it. But I, I, your goal from now on is not to just try not to sin and break the law. Your goal from now on is to build an intimate personal relationship with my Father, with God. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and that's all he wants to do. But everything is going to be different. It will require a radical transformation. He's like, I'm not, you got 613 laws. I'm not going to be the 614th one. I'm not trying to add a little bit of me into a system that needs to be replaced. I'm trying to transform everything. And so now it's not going to be the law. Peter said it this way. Instead, now, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone else asks about a hope, you know, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, that's funny to me coming from Peter because he knows what it's like to be caught off guard by a little girl who said, hey, aren't you one of the apostles? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not one of the believers. You remember that? He's he, Peter has been transformed, hasn't he? And he's like, listen, you don't want to be like me. You don't want to be embarrassed. Because 
you haven't figured out how to radically take a stand for what you believe in. So you, number one, accept Christ as Lord of your life. Make him the Lord of your life. And then you figure out a way to stand in it. And that is the goal of the Christian life. Paul said it this way. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for his sake. Jesus is Lord and I'm just a slave. I'm, I'm a servant. I want to serve you. I want to serve the world. I want to be a slave to Jesus. But that's the goal. And it's the hardest thing that Jesus had as in all of his ministry. Because people had in mind what they thought that looked like or what they thought it should be like or what it was going to be like. Or they had in mind what they wanted. And when Jesus didn't fit that, they just easily rejected him. Now, there are a lot of reasons why. But one day, early in Jesus' ministry, you have it recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and you have it recorded in Mark chapter 2 and you have it recorded in Luke chapter 5. And here's our parable of the day. Now, here's the setup. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Why are you just one party after another? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Well, of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. We know he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, right? Then Jesus gave them this illustration. So before we get into the parable, the illustration, let's just break this down. So there are two sets of disciples who are coming to Jesus. John the Baptist's disciples were there because John sent them to Jesus. You go. I'm pointing the way to Jesus. You go to him. He's the one who's going to make all things new. And so now they're coming and they're looking at Jesus but Jesus did not act like John acted. John was always fasting, eating weird food, living out in the wilderness, and giving them, and, and he was saying, you don't follow the, the way it is being practiced right now. You don't follow the Pharisees, and we've got to fast, and we've got to pray, and we've got to be saying, come, Lord Jesus. We've got to say, come, Messiah. But then the Pharisees, we're also fasting and praying because they were always breaking the law and it was a time to mourn and why can't we get the law right and everybody's always, you know, sackcloth and ashes and mourning. And Jesus' apostles realized he is the Messiah. He, he is here and they're celebrating the fact that the Messiah has finally come and he is spending time with them. And so... These two groups of disciples are very different. John's disciples didn't like the disciples of the Pharisees, and they didn't like John's disciples, but they all had a common theme. We're here to protect the old system. And Jesus' disciples were not fitting into the old system. And so Jesus said, listen, when there's a wedding guest and he's still with you, do you fast? No, you celebrate. So just the, the custom, the Jewish custom of weddings was there was a wedding on day one, and then for at least a week, sometimes two weeks after the wedding, the bride and groom did not go on a honeymoon like we do today. They went home. 
And everybody in the village, everybody in the town would go and show up at their home and they would take gifts and they would take food and they would oftentimes call them king and queen and they were treated like kings and queens and they were eating and laughing and fasting and having parties all night and celebrating the new relationship, the new wedding. And so Jesus is like, that's what it's like. When, the groom, when you're with the groom, are you mourning and crying and fasting? Oh, I can't believe you gave up the single life. That would be weird. <laughs> you're celebrating. Something new has radically changed. And it's a time to celebrate. Jesus said, That's, there will be a day when I'm taken away and, and they will fast. But you're, you're trying to view me through an old lens. And it's not, it's not working. It won't work. And so he gave them two illustrations, two illustrations covering the same point. Here they are, very simply. Luke 5, 33 through, this is uh, like 37, 38, and 39. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For the new garment will be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. They didn't keep their wine in jars at this time. They were keeping them in, in wineskins. For the new wine would burst when it ferments and expands. The new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. And then he adds this. Luke is the only one. Matthew and Mark leave this out. But look at what Luke adds. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. And that was Jesus' challenge. How do I get you to see that, behold, I'm making everything new? Because here's your challenge. You're trying to fit what I want to do in your life into an old system. Meaning, he'll come to you and he'll come to me and he'll say, listen, I'm not just trying to be one small piece in your already existing life. Your life isn't working. And you know it. And I want to make all things new. But you try to add just a little bit of Jesus into an old life. And what happens? The whole thing falls apart. Now, I don't think in, in, in that well, I did this for the children in the back. And, and you know, they, they, they just rely on their parents to patch old garments or buy a new one. And so I was trying to tell them, you know, when you have an old, back in the day, you could have an old coat or something. You've been wearing it for years. It's your favorite coat. It fits you, and you're like, I love this coat. You snatch it on something, and it rips a big tear. In the old days, we're like, oh, I can fix that, especially if it's leather. I can fix that. And we just cut a piece, and we put a new piece in it, and we sew it from the inside, and no one can tell, and you put it back on, and you keep going on. He is saying, if you put a brand-new patch into an old that's already shrunk, you put the new one in. When the new patch shrinks, what happens to the sewing? It, it, it rips a bigger hole. And Jesus is like, I'm coming to make something new happen in your life. I'm, I'm not just a little add-on to, to you living your own life and you just wanting me to come and rescue you and save you when you cry out to me in a time of need and then you go back to your old life. Uh-uh-uh. Your whole life will fall apart. It will rip apart. I'm coming to make everything new. It's like putting new wine in an old wine skin. There's, there's no, your life is already stretched, and now you're going to try to add Jesus into something that's not working already. It's not going to work. 
your life is going to be spilled out. 2 Samuel 11, 14, 14 says it this way. Like water spilt on the ground that cannot be gathered up again, so we all must die. What's he talking about? There are times in my life that I feel like my life is a mess. Spilled out everywhere, and it can't be fixed. And the, the idea was that God would just wipe that life away. But the writer said, no. God is not trying to destroy your life. But he's trying to bring you back to him. Now that's what we're talking about. And so, when I began to look today at what are our challenges and why is it that we have a hard time making Jesus Lord... There are actually a lot of reasons. I'm only going to give you three. So on the back of your outline that's in the pews in front of you, here are three different reasons why people have a hard time receiving Jesus, especially these Pharisees' disciples and John's disciples. The first one is they were satisfied. They were satisfied. And verse 39 said it. No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine. I'm good just like I got it. Don't do anything new. We've never done it that way before. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? It's just the old. So just, I don't need, I don't even want, it's too much of an interruption. Just, look, in my time, I'll pray and he can, you know, and he'll, and I'll just, just, but leave me alone. And they were just satisfied with their life for different reasons. One is it was comfortable. And listen, I've got my routine. I've got what I want to believe. I got how I want to act. I've got who I want to marry. I don't care what the law, God will forgive. I'm just satisfied right where I am. And and Jesus is an interruption. He's gonna come in and what he really wants me to do, the way he I just don't he's gonna change my friends and he's gonna change how I talk. He's gonna change how I live he's going to change my truth and I'm just satisfied right where I am now with the Pharisees they were in charge they wanted to be in charge and Jesus was an interruption to them being in charge and you read all of John and by the time you get down to it they're like listen it is better to kill that man and us stay in charge than to let him continue ruining our life and that's what's happening in our world. It'd be ready. It, it, it's easier for me just to disown Jesus than to have him interrupt my whole life. That's why few follow a narrow path that leads to heaven. Most people just take the easy way. Is that the truth? So they're just satisfied. Here's another reason. They were afraid. There were some people who were legitimately just scared to death. And here's a verse in John chapter 9. This was, you know, John 9, and Jesus healed this man, and, he, and he'd been, you know, lame all his life, and so, or, or blind, and they said, listen, who healed you? Are you the guy that was blind from birth? And he's like, yeah, well, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. It was some prophet. And so they went to ask his parents, and they're trying to figure out if these people were believers in Jesus. But his parents said, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. What they said is, you go ask our son, he can answer for himself. We're not speaking for him. 
Why, why would you say that? Why would you not defend your son? Why would you not say, I can't believe that he can see. I can't believe his life has radically changed. We're so grateful. Why would they not do that? The synagogue was the one place in town where everybody did business. And they kept roll. And they kept record. And they said, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And if you don't, you're going to be cast out. And when you're marked, no one can do business with you. And you will starve to death. And people were scared to death of not, of being rejected. And so, oftentimes as you're reading your Bible in those Gospels, you'll read it where it says, but they were secretly followers of Jesus. Or secretly believers in Jesus. But they were afraid of the Pharisees. And so sometimes... People are just scared. I'm too scared to take a stand at my work because of the ridicule I'll get. There's no way I'm going to stand up for Jesus in my school. Do you know what would happen to me if I did that? There's no way I can go stand on a street corner. There's no way I can speak up about Jesus because people will laugh. People will say, don't you bring that up here. And so people get afraid of being rejected or ostracized and they walk away. Here's the third one. <clears throat> Some people are just complainers. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Here's what it said. One day some people said, you know, John's disciples do this and the Pharisees' disciples do that. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Everywhere Jesus went, people had a problem with what he did. Your disciples didn't wash their hands. They didn't wash each other's feet. You're always eating over with sinners. I can't believe you're letting that woman touch you that way. You're a glutton, you're a drunkard, you're a friend of sinners. Everybody just complaining and criticizing and making fun of Jesus all the time and his apostles. And some people are just like that. Some people are just like, I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on, they're going to find something wrong with it. Does that happen in churches? I mean, I don't know. Because I'm, Taryn and I, we're typically the ones that people are talking about. And they're not going to do that to our face. Do they do that to you? Do they go to you and talk about us? Do people complain? That sermon was too short. It was too long. It was not funny enough. That was so sad. The music, oh, what one note. That, that feedback in that microphone. People are all, people just want to complain. All, I, I don't, and, I, and, if, and if you notice, and, and, and Acts talked about it. There are some people who are always looking for something new. Always criticizing what they have because good enough is never good enough. And so Jesus dealt with complainers. People who are always just nitpicking. They're never satisfied. They're always church hopping. Looking for something different. Whew. Those are three big reasons why people just have a hard time submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, let's land our lesson. Here are just three simple things that I want to leave with you. And then we'll pray together. What does this mean for us? Number one, there comes a time when we need to plan new strategies for old problems. 
There comes a time when we need to just say, you know what? We need something brand new. And, and there are times when people have a hard time with it. Oh, you're going to change everything. I don't, I don't know, but there's a time. And Jesus came and he's like, look, I am a brand new strategy for an old problem. You've got a sin problem and the law's not going to cover it. And there comes a time when you need something to, and I am new. I'm going to lead you home and I'm going to bring a law of grace and truth and I'm going to set you free. Is that okay with you? Right? And people wanted to be free, but they didn't want the package that they thought that it was coming in. But there comes a time when you just, I got new strategies for all problems. Churches do this. Businesses do this. Relationships do it. And sometimes you got to say, you know what? I'm no longer going to hold on to how badly you hurt me. I'm going to let that go. And we're going to say, you know what? I'm sorry. We're going to figure it out. And we're going to be friends again. Or when, when families are just going at it or when businesses are falling apart at some at some point you say you know what my strategy is not working I need something brand new and so what's in your life something that you've been struggling with and you just continually struggle with the same thing are you brave enough to go for a new strategy for some of you it's going to mean I've got to open it up and quit holding it as a secret. For some, it's like, uh -uh, I've got to run away from. I remember talking to a guy, and he was like, you know, listen, I've been addicted to crack for so long that there are places in this city where if I were to get in my truck and I were to drive over to that area of town, it's going to be a trigger, and I'm going to be way too tempted. So, I don't go anywhere near that side of town anymore. That's a new strategy. Sometimes it requires something radical. Amen? What's going on in your life that you continually struggle with where it's time for you to say, I need a new strategy. I need to submit in a new way. Here's number two. Overcome the fear of rejection. Overcome the fear of rejection. How do you do that? So I was watching a TED Talk this week with a guy who was really funny. And he was talking about when he was six years old, like a, in first grade, the teacher had all the students do something, and he was dramatically embarrassed. And they, had a, this, they were going to give a bunch of gifts out, and everybody was supposed to say nice about somebody else. And they were supposed to compliment, and nobody had anything nice to say about him. And he felt so rejected. It wounded him so that in his adult years, he remembered the day, the moment, the teacher's names, everything that was said and done. He felt so rejected, and he carried that with him in his life. When he was 14 years old, he went to hear uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, speak. And he was so inspired by that, that afterwards, he wrote this letter. When I'm 25 years old, I'm going to be a multimillionaire, and I'm going to buy Microsoft. Now, he didn't. Realized how big Microsoft was when he was 14 years old. But he wrote that down, and, and he said, and here I am now in my 30s. And the 14-year-old who wants to conquer the world is always in, in conflict with the 6-year-old who's afraid of rejection. And he said, in my life, the 6-year-old always wins. And I'll, I'll have an idea that I think could be a great idea. And I don't have the courage to speak it. 
I'll have something that I really want to go do, but I'm so scared I get paralyzed and I do nothing. Well, what are you going to do about that? So he said, I set out a plan and that radically changed my life. I decided I'm going to go get 100 rejections. And my first one, and he wrote it down. And he said, I'm going to video myself getting rejected. The first one was, I'm going to go up to a complete stranger and ask him for $100. And so he did. And he videoed it. And he went up to a homeless person who was on the side of the road. And he said, hey, can I, have a hundred, can I borrow $100? And the guy said, no. And he said, okay, thank you, bye. And he ran away. And he said, I was sweating. I didn't even want to go to him. But I've tried to find somebody that was safe. And, and then I watched it. And I watched how I was sweating. I watched my life. And I got to the end and I thought, my goodness. Why was I so scared? Why did I run away? Next time, I'm not going to run away. So his second one was he went to a fast food burger joint. And he was going to ask for a burger refill. And so he went up to the counter. And he said, hey, can I have a burger refill? And they're like, <laughs> that teenager was like, uh, what? And he's like, well, you have a Coke refill. But can I have a burger refill? And they're like, oh, we don't do that. We don't give burger. He goes, and so he said, so I just ask a question. Okay, well, but what, can I ask why not? He said, he didn't know why. I don't know why not. We just don't do that. But I'll tell my manager, maybe we'll do it later. He said, that's good, thank you. And he left, but he got a second rejection. He thought, wow, next time I'm just going to engage him and say, okay, why not? And so his third one was, he went to Starbucks and he asked the manager, hey, can I be like a Walmart greeter at your door? But, but for Starbucks. And they're like, what? And he said, so I said, is that weird? And they're like, yeah, that is a little weird, but I don't know why not. If you want to stand at our door and greet people, okay. And he said, so for the next two hours, I stood at the door for Starbucks. And as people was coming in, welcome to Starbucks. They got the greatest coffee and hot chocolate in the world. Come on in. We're excited that you're here. And he said, I just did that for two hours, and people thought I was weird, and I thought I was weird. But at the end of it, he said, 100 rejections later, I got 500,000 hits on my, what is it, Taryn, Instagram or Twitter account, whatever, <laughs> some social media account that I have no idea about. And people started following him, and he ended up writing a book, and things in his life dramatically changed. Are you scared to death of rejection? In the name of Jesus. And if so, what is it going to take to get that, that child that's scared to come out and radically take a stand for something that you know is true and right? So it's just a seed of a thought. And here's the last one and the most important. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I know there are a lot of reasons why you can't or why you won't. I know you can end up complaining. There's a lot of stuff around here you can complain about. But at some point, you're going to stand in front of an awesome, pure, and holy God and give an account of your life. And none of your complaints will work. And the only thing you will do is submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm asking you to do it now. And it will radically alter your life. It will change you in what. And it's all that Jesus wanted. From the very beginning of his ministry, he's like, are you always going to have a hard time? 
accepting me as Lord? Or at some point, will you quit trying to just fit a little bit of me into an already established life and radically change and say, I want Jesus as Lord of my life. And whatever it's going to take, whatever I have to overcome, whatever I have to do to get there, that's what I'm going to do. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And uh, I want to pray with you that we'll just begin to accept Jesus as Lord. We're going to go into this time of communion. And it's the time where Jesus submitted and gave everything in his life. And so as we get ready to go, I mean, we're going to be leaving here in a little bit. And, and, and communion is prepared for you outside. Those of you who are at home, thank you for just gathering around the two simple, you know, symbols of unleavened bread and and grape juice or fruit of the vine as we call it biblically and just celebrating what Jesus did for you and I want to pray and then after our prayer we have a, a very important announcement so those of you who are watching online don't leave because after we pray there's something that we the elders Taryn and I want to share with you guys and so let's just uh, remain here for a minute and we'll share this announcement okay let's pray